All right, so um, good morning, everyone. Uh, one of the most beautiful gifts that we can receive is a created craft. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe your son or daughter or someone uh, that you love has given you a, a gift that they made, and it's from the heart, and you're just like, whoa, that's, that's so thoughtful. Thank you. Consider it, right? And so I, for Valentine's Day, I got a little picture from Sophia, and it was very creative, and it was a gift to cherish. And so these kids, they can be very creative. And where do they get that from? Uh, they are image bearers of God. And so we see that God is creative. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the doctrine of creation. Why, how, and when did God create the universe? And so we're going to look at the overview here. Um, and we're going to briefly talk about the definition, how God created the universe out of nothing. Creation is distinct from God, yet always dependent on God. God created the universe to show his glory, and the universe God created was very good. And then we'll look into some application. Now, the definition of the doctrine of creation is God created the entire universe out of nothing. It was originally very good, and he created it to glorify himself. So we're going to look at all three elements of this definition as we get into it. So the first part is God created the universe out of nothing. Right, we're going to see the biblical evidence for this. And uh, the Bible, it teaches ex nihilio. That is a Latin phrase which means out of nothing. Before God began to create the universe, nothing else existed except God himself. So it wasn't matter and God and then God used the matter to create everything. No, it was just God. And we remember from our previous lessons, God is spirit. So he doesn't even have matter within himself. And so we observe this in Genesis 1, 1. And so I'm going to just list a bunch of different Bible verses that teach this doctrine. So the first one here is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? It doesn't say in the beginning, God used matter to create the heavens and the earth. No. Simply God created the heavens and the earth. That includes the entire universe. We read in Psalm 33 that by the word of the Lord, how did he create he spoke it into existence, right? The heavens were made, and all their hosts by what? The breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood forth. We see other scriptures like John 1. It tells us that all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. Colossians 1. Paul includes all the parts of the universe when he says, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things, yes, all, were created through him and for him. Another verse, and we got maybe four or five more, so I'm just listing them off here. Revelation 4.11 states, For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And there's plenty of scriptures that teach that God is creator, right? We looked at some of them already. I'll remind you of, of a couple. Acts 4.24. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. When Paul speaks to pagan Greek philosophers in Athens, he identifies the true God as what? The God who made the world and everything in it. And that this God gives to all men life and breath and everything. Anything you have, you can attribute that God gave it to you. Okay, And that's really humbling and important to understand. Another verse, Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what was seen 
was not made out of things which are visible. All right, so that's a really key verse. Which is seen was not made out of things which are visible. All right, and so just think about that for a second. Everything you're, what you're seeing, how did that come to being? How, how is that even possible that we have all this creation? It's because of the invisible God, the God who created all things. And one more verse here. Romans 4, 17 teaches that God calls into existence the things that do not exist, right? And so given this truth, there is no matter in the universe that is eternal. When I say the word matter, right, I'm just talking about physical objects. All that we see, the mountains, the oceans, the stars, the earth, all came into existence when God created them. And so this reminds us that God rules over the universe and that nothing in creation is to be worshipped instead of God or in addition to him. So any thoughts there or any questions here of just how God created everything out of nothing? I know it's a, it's a hard teaching. It's something that we can't really fully comprehend, right, to just think. Because we, when we create something or when we uh, try to make something, we're using matter, right? We're using our hands. God is, remember, spirit, and he speaks it into existence. And he doesn't need matter to create matter. And that's just amazing how God does that, right? So let's keep going here. The creation of the spiritual universe. Now, this is important for us to understand because Maybe you think only God created things that you can see. No, we have scripture that says otherwise. The creation of the entire universe includes the creation of an unseen spiritual realm of existence. God created the angels and other kinds of heavenly beings, as well as animals and man. And so we see that God created heaven as a place where his presence is especially evident, right? The creation of the spiritual realm is implied in all the verses we mentioned that spoke of God creating not only the earth, but everything uh, in it and in heaven as well. And so one verse to kind of uh, prove this statement. Go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. I think this one would stick out a little bit here. This is Ezra praying. Go in your Old Testament here. It says, Nehemiah 9, 6. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, and the earth, and that is all on it, the seas, and that is all in them. You preserve all of them. The hosts of heaven worship you. All right? And so we see here that everything, you can think of anything you can think of, and that's real. God has created it, the unseen and the seen, the visible and the invisible. So what else has God created? We're talking about creation. We mentioned he created Adam nothing. He created the spiritual universe. He's also created Adam and Eve, and he had a direct creation of Adam and Eve. If you remember, the Bible teaches that he created them in a special, personal way. Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground. So you say, okay, how was man created? It says it in scripture. He formed man out of the ground. And what does he do? He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And that's how man became a living being. Right? It wasn't this evolution process. It was 
God directly giving the man life. How do we have life? Because God gave us life. Really important to remember. And then after that, he created Adam. How does he create Eve? Does anyone remember? Yeah. From the body of Adam. We see in Genesis 2, 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Again, just an amazing process to think about. And this is why Adam says, um, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. God used a rib to create a woman. Again, something we can't comprehend. I don't know if any of you try to take one of my ribs. You're not making a woman out of it. But God can. That is how he works. He does the impossible. He gives life to non-life. We see this also reiterated in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. All right? So you might think that's a little weird. Wait, isn't that all, you know, human beings come out of women? Well, Well, yes, but... How did it first happen? Well, actually, it was the man that was established first, and then the woman was out of the man. And and it just shows a little picture of uh, federal headship or or the spiritual authority that man will have over woman and and to be leaders and providers, yet, of course, equal. And so really important for us to know that God created us in a special way. Um, It was very different from the animals, right? It was a very direct, and of course we know that he created us in his image. So that's a big one there. We were also appointed to rule over the rest of creation. Lastly, or two more here, the creation of time. This is really important for us to understand. We talked about it already. One other aspect of God's creation is the creation of time, the succession of moments one after another. And So when we speak of God's existence before the creation of the world, we should not think as God existing in an unending extension of time. Now, again, another thing that we can't really comprehend because we live in time. We are always in time. We never knew what time wasn't, right? It's almost like time has been eternal. But we know that God is eternal. And so God's eternity means that he has a different kind of existence, an existence without the passage of time. Remember, he's always existed. I mentioned this before. God doesn't have a birthday. Right? And so the fact that God created time reminds us that he has lordship over it and our, our obligation is to use it for his glory. So really important there. Um, and again, I mentioned that before about time, so we won't take too much time on it. Uh, so let's look at the work of the Son and the Holy Spirit in creation. God the Father, and we mentioned this before, is the primary agent in initiating the act of creation. Remember, we talked about the Trinity a couple weeks, um, and and we mentioned how the Son and the Holy Spirit, they're also active in creation. The Son, he's described as one through whom creation came about, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing uh, could be made. And then Paul in Corinthians says, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through him we exist. And he says also in Colossians, all things were created through him and for him. So we see Father... God the Father planning, God the Son um, being active as well in creation. And then in Hebrews 1, 
it says it there that the Son is the one through whom God created the world. And so God is active in creation. The Son is active in creation. And then if you remember in Genesis 1-2, the Holy Spirit is also there uh, completing, fulfilling, and giving life to God's creation. He's there hovering over the waters, indicating preserving, sustaining, and governing function. All right. One other verse here just to remind you how the Spirit is also part of creation, uh, how he uh, works in creation. Job says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gave me life. And then Psalm 104, 30 says, When you send forth your Spirit, they are created. They are created. And so the Spirit creates, the, the Son creates, the Father creates. We see the triune God um, working together in creating all things. All right, any questions about that, how God created everything out of nothing? We mentioned a couple of ways how God creates. Yeah. So I, I have no issues with, with God. God creates whatever he wants to create. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll get there at the end. Um, so you might just be, uh, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit. We're going to get there, and if you have a question about that or just you have an issue with that, we'll, we'll kind of hash that out in a little bit. But good, we'll get there. That's, that's, I, I would say I used to have an issue with that too, but we'll, we'll explain in a second. So here's our discussion question. We had a couple today. What would we have to believe if we deny creation out of nothing? What would we have to believe? What's the alternative? Okay. Nothing created everything. Okay. What else? What else? What would be another explanation here? Huh? Evolution. Okay. Anyone else? So, so well, yeah. So we're going to get that uh, in a little bit. But think about the statement I'm saying. What would we have to believe if we deny that God created out of nothing? What would we have? Lindsay? Yes. Yes, I think that is kind of where we're looking for. Yeah, so God would have to use something, maybe matter, to create something else that's eternal, and he wouldn't be all-powerful. I think that's kind of what I was looking for. Anyone else here? What would we have to believe if we deny creation out of nothing? Okay. Yeah, and we would also have to deny maybe that he's not spirit, kind of like going back to our first statement. Yes, and, and we'll get a little bit more into that. Um, good thoughts, everyone. So let's look at this part here. Uh, creation is distinct from God, yet always dependent on God. And so the Bible teaches that God is distinct from his creation. He is not part of it, for he has made it and rules over it. And so this is really important to understand, God's transcendence. God being much greater than creation. It relates to his transcendence, right? This means that God is far above the creation in the sense that he is greater than the creation. He's independent of it, right? It's not that God needs the creation. Uh, and also God is ruler of all creation. But we know that God is also involved in creation, right? He's continually, uh, the creation, it's continually dependent on him 
for his existence and functioning. And so God being involved in creation relates to God's imminence, right? That means remaining in, imminence, remaining in. And so the God of the Bible is no abstract deity removed from or uninterested in his creation. The Bible is a story of God's involvement with his creation and the people in it. We see that Job affirms this, that even the animals and plants depend on God when he says, In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Then Paul affirms this in Acts when he says, God gives to all men life and breath and everything that is in him. And we live and move and have our being. Then we see in Colossians that Christ holds all things together. In Hebrews, we read about how Christ is continually upholding the universe by his word of power. And one more. And I want you to go there. Go to Ephesians 4. Notice God's transcendence and imminence here. Ephesians 4, verse 6. Look what it says here. Ephesians 4, verse 6. And uh, different translations uh, have, have the word here, us, but mine does. Maybe your NASB doesn't. It says, one God and Father of us all. All right, he's the God of us all, imminence, who is above all and through all and in all. He is transcendent. And so he is both transcendent and imminent. All right, and this is really important to understand. Remember, God doesn't need creation. God is above creation, yet he is involved in it. He cares about creation. However, we have other unbiblical views, and we're going to discuss about that in creation. The first one I want you to think about is materialism, right? We kind of mentioned this briefly. Materialism is the most common philosophy of unbelievers today, and this is that which denies the existence of God, right? We mentioned evolution already. Um, this would say only the universe exists, not God. Right? And so how did everything come into being? Well, the universe had to create everything. It's all matter and a bunch of random chance. And, and so that's materialism. All right? Obviously, we deny that. We believe God created all things. What's the next unbiblical view here? Pantheism. Right? And so we got a couple here that are unbiblical. Uh, the next one here is pantheism. The Greek word pan means all or every. It's the idea that everything, the whole universe, is God or is a part of God. Pantheism denies several essential aspects of God's character, right? If the whole universe is God, then God has no distinct personality. God is no longer unchanging because we know the universe changes. So that means, in their view, God also changes. Moreover, God is no longer holy because there's evil in the universe, and if God is part of of the universe, then he must be part evil. Now, most pantheistic systems, such as Buddhism, deny the importance of individual human personalities, right? Since God is everything, the goal for the individual should be to blend in with that everything, right? With the universe, one with the universe. Be more and more united with it, and eventually you lose yourself, right? So pantheism denies... Uh, not only the personal identity of God, but also human beings' identity as well. Does anyone know uh, someone who believes in Buddhism or, or follows that? 
So what, what is their view? What do they teach? Does anyone know? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so the point for them is to no longer desire. They need to desire not to desire anything. Does anyone see the contradiction there? It, it, you've got to lose yourself to become one with the universe. Uh-huh, Sam? Yeah, yeah, and I think um, Mike mentioned it with Nirvana and stuff, right? To be fully content because you have to realize that you are part of God. You want to be part of God because you want to be part of the universe. And so there's a lot of flaws there, um, obviously. And, and you know, I, I remember uh, going to high school as well, and, and, you know, some of my teachers believed this view. And, and so they, they try to promote this whole peace and, and just, you know, mental health and, and just wellness and just making sure you're, you're just content. And, and what is it really? It's idolatry because you're basically um, fooling yourself into becoming one with yourself because you're part of the universe as well. And it's, it becomes very selfish. And, and yeah, obviously it's demonic because it's not of God, but uh, very dangerous teaching. All right, another one. Dualism. Maybe you've heard of this one. Uh, this is the idea that both God and the material universe have eternally existed side by side. All right, there are two ultimate forces, dualism, two ultimate forces in the universe, God and matter. All right, and so here's the problem. There's this eternal conflict between God and the evil aspects of the material universe. Will God ultimately triumph over evil in the universe? We cannot be sure according to dualism, right? Because both God and evil have always existed side by side. And this philosophy would deny God's ultimate lordship over creation, and that creation came about because of God's will. This viewpoint will also deny that all the universe was created inherently good and will encourage people to view material reality of somewhat evil in itself. All right, any questions or comments about that? Uh, dualism, pantheism. And then lastly, deism. Is the view that God is now not directly involved in the creation. Deism generally holds that God created the universe and is far greater than the universe, uh, but God's not involved in it, right? He doesn't care about it. Uh, some deists would agree that, okay, yes, God does have moral standards. He will eventually hold people accountable for their sins on the day of judgment, but he's not really involved in the world. Uh, and so this leaves no place for God's imminence in the created order. Rather, this is how God is viewed, as a divine clockmaker who wound up the clock of creation and said, okay, let's let it run on its own. We'll see what happens at the end of the day. You know, we'll see who's good, who's bad, who ends up you know, coming with me and who ends up getting judged. And so, a divine Santa basically, yes. <laughs> and so uh, many people act like deists, right? It's all up to me to save the world um, because they believe God isn't really here or involved. That's how they're going to get away from why do bad things happen? Because they're going to say, well, God, if, if bad things happen, I mean, that means just God's not involved, right? Otherwise, God would be involved. But he wants us to, I don't know, exercise our free will. And, and so that's what a deist might come up with. God doesn't really care. 
I don't know, has anyone, anyone uh, encountered a deist or someone that believes that? That God is not involved in his creation, but he does exist. So, so a lot of deists would be uh, people that um, are more like secular in their views. They, they basically, yeah, I know God exists, but they don't have a relationship with him, and they don't also think that God cares about having a relationship with them. All right, here's a discussion question. So if any of these unbiblical views were true, how would you feel differently about yourself? Now, this is kind of going back to what we were mentioning in the other discussion question. You guys brought this up. Um, if any of these, dualism, theism, pantheism, what if they were true, what would that mean about you, about your future, about right and wrong? I think Mike was kind of, you were saying what it was before, if you remember. There's no hope, no purpose. What else? If dualism, pantheism, all these other views, if one of them was true, what would we have to believe? What would, we, what would our life be all about if one of these were true? Okay. Yeah, because he. And that, that whole faith is gone. Because God wouldn't care to send his son. Why would God do that? Because he doesn't care. So that would make no sense. Yeah, good point. Uh huh. Then if that's the case, then I'll do whatever you know, I want. Exactly. But, but then you still have to bear the consequences, and you don't know why. And I actually had a, a something about. Mm. Uh, before, mm -hmm. because I feel like a lot of Christians, because you know, we say that we love God, we praise God, but mm. push comes to shove, you know, when the last moment of death, like on a plane or whatever, you just put unto yourself, mm. like we put, put God, like forget about God. Yeah, and and so, yeah, fear really uh, or suffering really re um, reveals what you believe about God, and and so I like your first point you brought up. You mentioned um, you wouldn't care about obeying God. You wouldn't really care about following God. You would live life, quote-unquote, to the fullest in the sense of, I can sin because there is no God. And this is what a lot of people do. Yes? Yeah, everything would be relative. Um, mm -hmm. it yeah, it would just be, what's your truth? That's true. Okay, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. Kumbaya, let's just be happy. You know, why do we have to argue and disagree? But we see there is a contradiction um, because there is one truth. So, good thoughts here. Let's continue here. And this is back to what Sam's original point uh, or, or question or issue here. God created the universe to show his glory. Now, like I said before, Sam, I did have an issue with this at some point in my Christian walk. But once you read the scriptures, you start to say, well... It's true, and so I need to submit to the truth. So we'll give you a couple scriptures here. Isaiah 43, 7. We see here, it is clear that God created his people for his own glory. For he speaks of his people as those whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And so uh, one thing that helps me understand this is, if God created for our glory, 
um, then God would be uh, an idolater. That, that's what really helps me. So who is the greatest uh, being of the universe? It, it's God. And, and for God to um, want to worship uh, someone besides himself in the sense of, you know, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, then uh, he would actually be putting something before what is the greatest in the universe. And, and that is wrong. That is against his nature. And ultimately, it's idolatry. Uh, however, that's not to say because he created us for his glory that he doesn't love his creation. We see that, again, he's uh, imminent. He, he is involved. He does care. He sent his one and only son for he loved the world. And so... Um, just because he created for his glory doesn't mean that that negates all his other attributes of love. But I don't know if that kind of answered your question a little bit. Um, because I, I was always struggling with, you know, because he's the all-knowing God and he's the creator and he knows mm. everything that's going to happen from mm -hmm. to, to, to the fault, to yeah. the redemption, to, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the He's the all things, yep. Like, Well, yeah, no, it does get... Uh, people, when people go out and gospel, oh, you know, God saved the world, he's mm -hmm. doing this, but like, God knows this already. It's like all within his plan. Yeah, so there's, there's different views. So you don't want to get fatalistic where it's kind of like, well, God knows everything and what's going to happen is going to happen. Um, you want to have a good, healthy balance, right? God has determined all things, yet we are responsible for our sins, we are responsible for our actions, and we really do make real actions. Um, you know, uh, it's easy to just say, again, God didn't make robots. He made us in his image. And so we can be creative like he is creative. We can think. We can reason. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the main point, though, uh, of this point that I'm making with God created the universe to show his glory, we see this throughout Scripture. Look at Psalm 19, 1 to 2. It tells us that the heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork day to day. Uh, pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. And so what do we see there? Uh, it all points to the glory of God. It's all for his glory. Revelation 4.11. Um, God connects the creation of all things with the fact that he is worthy to receive glory for them. He says here, you are worthy in Revelation 4.11. Our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for what? You have created all things. And I, I think it's, it, it goes back all the way to this, Sam. Um, we need to remember we are creatures, finite creatures. God is the infinite creator. And that's not to say, like, God's this mean God who, oh, you're just creatures. You're, you're pieces of dust and little ant, and I made you out of a rib. No, God loved us, cared for us, and, and, and had a purpose in making us. Um, and so there's just this healthy balance of understanding. Yes, we're created for his glory, but God is not a corrupt judge. He is a just judge, uh, patient, loving, kind. Um, but yeah, just because we're, for sake of time, we're just going to finish up here. So we see here creation shows God's great power and wisdom far above anything that could be imagined by any creature, right? Jeremiah tells us, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretches out the heavens. He is the one who formed all things. So when we affirm that God created the universe to show his glory, it is important that we realize, again, that he did not need to create it. 
We should not think that God needed more glory that he had within the Trinity for all eternity or that somehow he was incomplete without the glory that he would receive from creation. This would deny God's independence and imply that God needed the universe in order to be fully God. And so it seems why did God create the universe to take delight in his creation? All right, to take delight in his creation. So one last discussion question here. When you think about the millions of stars and that God put them in place to show us his power and glory, how does it make you feel about your place in the universe? How does it make you feel about your place in the universe? Uh-huh. It's kind of like a flip side to our last question. So before we mentioned they have no hope, no purpose, no meaning with those false views being true. But here, we know that God created the stars. We know it's for his glory. What about us? Well, we have hope and purpose. We have um, this joy in God, and we should be humbled by it because we acknowledge that he is our creator. And we can have this relationship with our creator given the other scriptures that mention that. All right. Like I said, we're pressed for time today. So the universe God created was very good. We see that in the book of Genesis. Uh, right after he creates everything he's created, what does he say? It is good. And then at the end, he observes all of it and says it is very good. We see that though the created universe can be used in a sinful or selfish way and can turn our affections away from God, nonetheless, we must not let the danger of the abuse of God's creation Give us, uh, keep us from this positive, thankful, joyful use of it for our own enjoyment and for the good of it. And so it, it's very simple. It's okay, God created everything good, but what happens? Obviously, sin entered into the world. We make it bad, but it doesn't mean that his creation is now just terrible and, and you know, obviously it's tainted, but can we say, and, I, and I'm kind of jumping forward a little bit, can we say, that God's creation is still good. What do you guys think? Is it still good, though there is now sin in the world? Yeah, think about the mountains. Think about the earth. Think about marriage. These are good things. This is what God has created. Now, obviously, we could taint them. Um, you know, we can, we can say different things uh, about them and, and, and maybe come to a conclusion, well, no, you know, creation is not good anymore. But what we're doing there is we're forgetting what God has created uh, from the beginning. And again, he created it very good. And so think about the animals. Um, and it's not to say this word good. Uh, I'm trying to say that, okay, it's, it's perfect. It's without sin and all these things. No, I'm just saying uh, in the sense of common grace, in the sense of, Rain is good. Why? Because it gives forth crops, right? Uh, even the snow. And so we need to have that balance. So we see in uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. And so that's in the context of marriage and foods. And so we have food, right? We have um, uh, marriage that God has created and so we're able to enjoy those things, right? What happens is sometimes people, they say, well, 
you know, spe uh, specifically in marriage, well, you know, sex isn't good, and so you, you get the monks and the nuns, and, and, and they try to say this isn't good anymore, right? But in the Word, no, we see that it's, it's good, it's healthy, right? Uh, Song of Solomon in different scriptures, God created sex, and so to say it, that it's not good is wrong. To say that, um, that we have to understand it in its context is important, of course, and then the same thing with foods, uh, sometimes you get the vegans or the vegetarians, and don't get me wrong, that's okay. Remember, there's the weaker brother and the stronger brother. Uh, if they're convicted not to eat those food, that's fine. But what I'm saying is to say that it's not good, it's dangerous because God created these foods for us to enjoy. And so we can have an agape fellowship lunch um, and, and, and understand that. And so we've got to have the proper balance. And, and so let's end here with application. So... The doctrine of creation, and there's four main points or applications I want you to think of. First one is it makes us realize that the material universe is good in itself, for God created it good and wants us to use it in ways pleasing to him. And so therefore, we should seek to be like the early church who partook with food with glad and generous hearts. Okay, They were always thankful for uh, what God has provided. They always trusted in God to provide for, these, uh, for them. Now, the second thing, the doctrine of creation will also enable us to recognize more clearly that scientific uh, study, so think about astronomy, think about geology, biology, um, you know, how we studied the human DNA. These things, these studies, they, they glorify God because it shows us just how amazing our God is in creation, whether it be uh, the earth or the stars. Uh, it enables us to discover how incredibly wise and powerful and skillful God was in his work of creation. And then uh, two more here. We'll end with this here. The doctrine of creation also reminds us that God is sovereign over the universe he created. We owe all that we are and have to him, and we have this complete confidence that he will defeat his enemies and be manifested as sovereign king to be worshipped forever. And so... Uh, that's really important, just to know that God is in control. He is sovereign over creation. And then lastly, uh, we can enjoy creative activities with this attitude of thankfulness that our creator God has enabled us to imitate him in our creativity. All right? So in summary, God created the entire universe out of nothing. It was originally very good, and he created it to glorify himself. And so my question that I want you to think about for the rest of the week is, do you live to bring him glory? Really important here. Once you understand your purpose in life, which is to glorify God, you are going to be able to plan out your week and think of ways how you can bring him glory. So if it's at your work, if it's at school, if it's at home with your parents or with your children, you can say, oh, how can I glorify God here? Um, obedience, love, care for one another are all ways. Next week, we'll look into God's providence.